Right, I'm recording at this end. Moi, two. Ici? Is that two? Ici? Oh, si. Oui. Ah. Oh, what? Bien sûr. I would love to speak French. Do you have to learn French as a chef? No. You sort of... No, oh. I think if you're in one of those snooty kitchens, then you have to pick up the, like, je suis un commie and all that sort of <laughs> rubbish. Je suis un sous-chef and sous-vide and pointless French words like this. But no, I don't think it's necessary. But because a lot of French cooking, a lot of cooking is based on French cuisine, isn't it? Yes, I think old-fashioned... Or techniques. ...cooking, oh. like... Michelin cooking, not that all Michelin cookings, oh, I'm in hot water already, is fusty. <laughs> but I do think in the olden days, we used to think that French food was the pinnacle of sophistication. And not the same. Which is strange because you don't get that with gardens, do you? There's not like a, there's not a country that's taken over gardening and we all sort of refer to things in German words or something. Or... Well, apart from the English garden, maybe that's because it's us. Yes. Yeah, but English garden does translate, doesn't it? That is a thing. Like you can go to other countries and they do their interpretation. But then you also you get the parterre, parterre, and uh, oh, oui, bien sûr, et le potage aussi. Continental theme this week. Bonjour and welcome to the podcast Root Swings and Other Sings. Oh no! Oh no! <laughs> there will be letters. It's a low, a low already. It was very good. The it is. That is the full extent of my French. Please don't Instagram us. That's all I've got. But you know that the only other cool French thing I remember watching was the Pink Panther with Inspector Clouseau. Which oh, what is the? I know, I, but I, I think if that. you listen to that now, it probably totally or watch that now, it's probably completely inappropriate. Yeah, but then that's most things that it's we watch true, as a child, isn't it? Isn't it? Anyway, I mean, how are you, my lovely? I'm all right. <laughs> Good. <laughs> I'm tired. I think there's something in the water or the air, Cathy. Everybody seems to be tired. It's the atmosphere, isn't it? It's quite rainy at the moment. It's stormy. stormy. There's a lot of pressure. Mm. Mm. I'm feeling Literally and that's metaphorically. <laughs> so it's been a couple of weeks since I spoke to you because we had a little recording break. Not that our listener will know that because we are incredibly efficient and on the ball and have managed to get these out on time as per demand internationally. <laughs> you totally jinxed <laughs> but, us now. But yes, it has been a while, hasn't it? What have you been up to? I've forgotten what you look oh. like. Um, <laughs> I've been, not well, all sorts, actually, all sorts. Now, I have to say, I'm going to admit that having spent a little bit of money, I probably haven't got. And it's always the garden, isn't it, that mm -hmm. does that? I think, do you remember very early on in this series when I interviewed Arthur Parkinson mm. and he said, you know, I don't understand why people bang on about uh, gardens being expensive. It's just another hobby. You choose what you spend the money on. Some people spend a lot of money on shirts or trainers or handbags or whatever. I choose to spend my money on plant pots mm -hmm. or whatever. <clears throat> so, and I thought, well, that's interesting. So obviously, cognitive bias. I... <laughs> I held that very close to my heart. I thought, yes, yes, Rose, you spend your money on what you want. <laughs> so lovely Jekka, Queen of Herbs, comes along and says, oh, you know, here are the herbs that you can overwinter all year round and, uh, and look lush and lovely. And, and I thought, do you know what I need in my life? <laughs> 
to buy myself happiness and contentment. <laughs> I need more herbs. You can never have too many. <laughs> so what have you planted? An awful lot of thyme. I'm not going to lie. I've got, I think, 11 varieties of thyme. And, well, thanks. Although I'm not sure anybody needs 11 varieties of thyme. <laughs> <laughs> After I'd felt really, you know, content, I got them all pot and they look lovely. And I thought, well... I mean, how much time can one person eat? How much time's a time, 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 and a time picker's picker's time, time? Or That'll something. stick. Uh, well, amazingly <laughs> many opportunities to use time, uh, I think. I always put time in a tomato salad because it's yes. lovely. <clears throat> and I have been known on more than one occasion to put time in a pudding. It's really, ah, it makes okay. a really good... Um, liquor like a sugar liquor so equal amounts of sugar and water chuck a load of thyme in it and you've got a lovely poaching liquor for pears or well all sorts really or peaches or things like that that works really well that sounds good Mm. and then it's great because it's also good in cakes i mean i know you're not we Mm. have baked together and your baking skills are you have many skills but baking is not necessarily one of them i think the french say exceptional mm. (laughs) <laughs> Do they, though? <laughs> Depends how you translate but it. <laughs> let me tell you, your baking will be transformed if you put some thyme flowers on top of your cake, or better still, some thyme leaves in your cakes. Really delicious. I'm not bothered about the whole leaf flower thing. I just pick them. If it's got flowers, it goes in okay. anyway. Spaghetti bolognese, whatever, I just sort of substitute them as leaves. Yeah. I just I don't bother about looking for the ones that have only got mm. leaves on. I just mm. Oh, and the other day... Because I obviously was in herb mode, I thought, oh, I'll make uh, some friends came over and it was very hot outside, as it has been. So I made some water with some ice in it and some chunks of mm. lemon. And I put rosemary, lemon balm, mint. And I did I put a little bit of thyme as well in there? And I thought, Jez, you're probably going overboard. It was delicious. Nice. Let me Try it with you. a gin and tonic next. That's a good one as well. <laughs> <laughs> rosemary when i drank gin and tonic uh rosemary you know mm. i just sort of crush it a little bit in my hands to release the oils and use it like a brush to swill yes. it around and that rosemary and gin and tonic was rather delicious spesh. well i've been in herb mode as well i have to say ah, look at that, that. my um long and laborious kitchen extension is now completed to the point that i can start planting around it and it's glass on all sides, pretty much, except the internal wall. Um, oh, is it three sides has yeah, got glass it's on it? Pr- it's all. Oh, it's very exciting. I've only seen two. And Amazing. the sli- the glass is sliding doors. So some of the, all of it. So some of the sliding doors open onto a flower bed. So I've just oh. planted this flower bed with. All the regular herbs, but some other fun yep. ones as well, like lemon verbena, and there's some sorrel in there as well, and some chamomile, okay. and um, uh, pel- oh, we have to call them pelagoniums now, don't we? Geraniums to you and me. Geraniums. Uh, yeah, the yeah. rose ones, the attar of rose, I think it's called, or rose of attar. And ever. Anyway, really fragrant, Lovely. beautiful for uh, cooking with. So now... If it should be raining, I can just open my sliding door and there, whilst I am still in the kitchen, is my herb garden. It's very exciting. Amazing. That sounds very Mm. special. But of course, if you didn't have 
a three-sided glass extension <laughs> on your house with a very lovely kitchen, which I sort of feel like kitchens, even if you <clears throat> excuse me, don't cook, I think a kitchen is such a special place, isn't it? It really is the heart of every home. I think everybody should have something special Definitely. in their kitchen. But just you could have a window box or one of those trugs or just even some big yeah. pots. You know, they'll grow in yeah. anything, won't they? Little old sinks, baths, whatever. And just put them right next to the door. You could create like a little... Almost a porch, but without the porch. You know, they sometimes storm porches have little walls yes. either side of the door. You could just create like a little row of plants either side and of the door. And many of them, um, particularly the um, Mediterranean ones, don't need very good. In fact, they prefer not very good quality soil. Quite stony, no. great drainage. So, And then something yeah. like mint, you definitely want to be putting in a pot anyway do not put yeah. that straight in the bed it's very invasive but also lemon balm i oh. made that mistake with both of those things in my garden and i'm still pulling it up two years i later. think we've talked about we've berated each other for our lemon balm errors yeah. because i did exactly yeah. the same and i'm still pulling it up i didn't realize it a bit like feverfew that goes flipping oh, everywhere as well you're forever picking but at least feverfew is useful whereas lemon balm just yes. tastes of jiff so <laughs> Of limited potential. And I'm glad that you no longer drink, Jif, because uh, you're a better woman for that. You've changed, and I think it's been, it's been a positive thing for you. And if you're listening, listener, Jif is not an incorrigible, <laughs> an incorrigible thing Maybe to Maybe I meant it smells like Jif. I probably gave away a bit Maybe too much for myself then. <laughs> Do you know, oh, and actually, one last thing on the yes. herb thing. Uh, my dad, I found out recently, my dad's a big fan of Italian cooking. He loves <clears throat> Italian cooking, um, which if you ever met him, uh, you would recognise immediately from his size. Um, but, <laughs> and the pairing of wine to go with Jez's it. Jez's um, dad, if you're but... listening, we can talk. I'm so sorry your son's so publicly rude about you. <laughs> anyway, you were saying... <laughs> Uh, and he, I found out recently that he buys jars of sauce, like pasta sauce and stuff. I couldn't believe it. I said, Dad, is a tin of tomatoes, a little bit of sugar, maybe some tomato puree. You, you can add, take away any of these things if you don't want. Dash a little bit of wine in there or port or balsamic, balsamic, maybe the older ones because they're a bit sweeter. I'm getting a bit fussy now. You don't have to do any of that. Salt and pepper and... <laughs> Chuck a load of herbs in and a bit of garlic. I mean, you know, pop a shallot in if you want, but you don't even have to do that. You know, I mean, just just tomatoes and, and herbs and his, the most joyful what thing. What was his justification it, for buying jars of ready-made sauce? Well, because he's lazy, yeah. well, basically. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> and, I, and I said, but you've got in your garden. Like, it's not, there's lazy and then there's, you know, succumbing to the absolute far end of human laziness like we can all we are all lazy as a species um there are different degrees of laziness but buying a jar of something as opposed to opening a tin of tomatoes and chopping up some fresh herbs like that that could be it that's all you could do and immediately you've got basically the same thing with less preservatives less sugar and more that's what I love about these herbs, Kathy. You know, when you chop them all up, the punch. So much. Oh. Do you know, I would even say you could leave out the tin of tomatoes if you really had to. Just, Just olive oil. That's a very dry yeah, pasta sauce. Olive oil, <laughs> herbs and parmesan and some salt and pepper. Toss it all in some parpadelli. Oh. I mean, it's the work oh of moments. Gosh. Maybe at a push, a tin of anchovies oh. in there as well. Oh, oh making me or hungry. Cake. I'm loving that. 
when I was bulking out, when I wasn't very well, and I was trying to put on mm. weight and bulk out, um, that was one of the things I often had for lunch. And I thought, this is nonsense. Surely this isn't doing anything. It was just plain pasta, olive oil, and grated manchego, manchego I think. Manchego, nice. Um, with a bit of seasoning. Yeah. And, oh, well, you know. You know. <laughs> There's a little bit of class in this. Uh, Who knew? <laughs> in this fridge. <laughs> Deep down. Yeah, and it's amazing. But it's simple things, isn't it? You know, it's just sometimes simple flavours and how our gardens can offer that. You certainly for can, us. particularly if you've got a few pots of herbs outside. Delicious. <laughs> Talking of outside, yes. um I've got some <laughs> I've got mixed things on my peg list. Okay, tell me your peg list. Um, well, my peg list I was very mm. long. There was a lot of cutting back, a lot of managing weeds, a lot of because the garden, you know, we've had this weird summer of amazing warmth and but dryness and then lots of uh, stormy sort of rain and then periods of sunshine and it's just an abundance of growth so much year. greenery certainly right? in yeah, my garden same um and so i you know i had him looking out now <laughs> i had lots of cutting back and moving and and just controlling a little bit and i thought Do you know what i'm going to cross a load of these things off on my list to give me a bit of breathing space and see if i can just let it go a bit just see what happens if i can sit on my hands for a bit because there's nothing you know it doesn't matter you just look a bit scruffy for a bit if you don't like it and we'll just do what you're going to do in the first place cut it back pull some stuff out it's fine but actually in letting it go it's i guess it's my own little mini rewilding experiment mm -hmm. there have been some things pop up that i didn't plant that are entirely natural you know and i go off and i pull some of the bits of grass out and the weeds that i don't want there but i've got these epically ornamental i guess wild dandelions they're really tall with amazing like tiny little heads but loads of them um, are very yellow I didn't plant are they those. super duper yellow like living yes, yes i know the ones you mean beautiful ah. but they look great where they are amongst sort of oh oh my word and the rose garden so I've got this this big long sort of l-shaped walkway that i created a rose sort of uh, border and the poppies have gone absolutely insane awesome. this year. So I let them go and it's now a rose and poppy Beautiful. border. Beautiful. Um, and are they the big ornament, um, oriental poppies? Um, they're yes. so fabulous, aren't they? Stunning. And there's a load of opium poppies in there that have come from somewhere. I didn't put them there. Um, but I did so this year. I had a big manger of... Um, I think I said this to you before. I forget what we've spoken about. I had a big manger in the uh vegetable garden and i planted less veg this year um because one person doesn't need all that mm -hmm. veg and we haven't got guests coming you know with the workshops and stuff um so i i'd sown uh poppy seeds across it and oh, it's yes. now this massive manger of wild poppies and it looks amazing it's just this flash of kind of wild redness in the veg garden so <clears throat> that's what has been on my mm -hmm. peg list has been sitting back just letting it go however Sweet pea crisis. Oh, dear. Now, I may or may not have ordered some sweet peas. And I may or may not have misread or misinterpreted or not read exactly <laughs> the presentation of the sweet peas. So I thought I ordered, let me get this right, 12. Is that right? Did I think I ordered 12? Yes, 12 sweet mm -hmm. peas. I thought, well, 12, so that'd be fine, because I can do sort of 4, 8, 12, and those three wigwams mm -hmm. in those borders. That'll look lovely. The sweet peas come in packs of four plugs. So uh. 
I have 48 <laughs> plants of sweet peas. Okay, that doesn't sound like a Which problem. is a lot more than 12. Well, it is when you're wandering around with three like massive handfuls of like, where am I going to put these 16 sweet peas now? Um, so anyway, I planted them all up, Kathy. Mm. And I, they're just not, they're just not doing anything. My mum's got sweet pea go-go in her garden and I've just got nothing really. And are they, just so the things they spindly. really like is to be able to ramble up stuff. So have yes. you got netting or so, or twigs or something quite close to the base, like maybe only an inch or two off the soil? No. Because... <laughs> This could be it, because if they have to work hard to get up to your pea netting or pea canes or yes. whatever, that are maybe a foot... Writing a note now. taking notes. If, yes. if those pea canes are maybe a foot away from the base of the sweet pea, then yes, that are. will seem like a skyscraper away for them. Oh. So... They'll oh, so flail around oh. at the bottom and they'll... That is what Whereas actually, if they can get their spindly tendrils up into yes. something to hold okay. on to fairly quickly, yeah. then they'll go, oh, great, we're going upwards, and they'll rock it on upwards. Ah, uh, OK, So fine. that might be uh, why. Because shouting doesn't Apparently help. not. I've tried gentle encouragement. Mm -hmm. I've tried... I mean, I don't, I'm not a very aggressive person, but I felt aggressive um, when I gave them a jolly good chatting to, and that didn't help either. So I'll give them the little sticks yeah. to climb Or up. gentle encouragement in the form of a little bit of uh, garden string to hoist mm -hmm. them up towards... Hoist. <laughs> I will henceforth hoist my hoist sweet peas. Hoist your sweet peas. <laughs> then that might work, because it's not too late... So you can keep no, okay. sweet peas go on for a lot longer than people imagine them do. did annoy me that yesterday I went to see my mum very mm. quickly, popped in for a cup of tea, and she had picked sweet peas and had them in a jar in her kitchen. And that just made me bitter. Yeah. So we're not talking. Okay. Well, she is. I'm just not talking back. <laughs> um, what, what's on your peg list? What well, I'm doing? still... To, get a peg is still on my peg list. <laughs> oh, for crying out loud. I'm going to do it by the last one of the episode. <laughs> I'm going to say we're going to the end of the bloody series <laughs> and you'll decide, oh, I don't, don't need one now, now. We're in winter. Got it. Um, on my peg list is, well, the same as you, really, like cutting all everything back but also try not to mm. cut too much back uh harvesting this is the best time of year because now you've done all the hard work i'm picking the broad beans i've put some more peas in um lovely i'm picking beetroot which is exciting mm. more lettuce than nice. i thought was humanly possible the courgettes yes, are here oh, it's very exciting time of year but also it's hard at this time of year because you have to think about Christmas. I always think about Christmas, so it's not hard for me. But I do appreciate for some people, they don't think about Christmas every day. I don't understand that. No. But you do need to because you need to be sowing your brassicas. Now, in fact, you need to be planting them out as plugs by now. So if uh -huh. you want Brussels sprouts for Christmas, you need to be getting your plugs in 
probably already. Gotcha. Uh, and my kale is going in and uh, what else am I planting? A couple of cabbages uh, and that sort of like the brassica world is going in. My leeks I've given up on. They should have gone in a while ago and they weren't very good anyway. And I'm so over <laughs> leeks. So leeks have been banished this year. They can fend for themselves. <laughs> I think that's lovely that every year you find something that you, you either forget to have put in <clears throat> or you, you there's something's happened yeah. to it or it's a bad crop or, yeah. or you I don't know you don't have any room or something yeah. like that um yeah I think the supermarket or the farm shop will always reign supreme unfortunately as much as we all are desperate to try and get to that self-sufficiency and and, and uh, be able to look after ourselves entirely there's just there's always something that catches you out isn't it what you think oh, anyway. yeah exactly um, and it's best to focus on the stuff that's fun than worry about growing potatoes I think and are you a, I think we've had this discussion mm-hmm. before, perhaps this isn't a public discussion mm-hmm. to have. So, um, you know, drop me a text if you want me to edit okay. this out. But uh, I'm going to ask you a fairly personal question about your <clears throat> your garden okay. uh, frivolities. Mm-hmm. Um, are you a, a sort of a chemical gardener or are you a, um, you're, uh, would you class yourself as an organic gardener? Would, what, what sort of style I would definitely class myself as an organic gardener, yeah. Would yep. you? And like properly organic, are you out there at 3am hunting slugs and picking them off? Or I have, at worst, been known to use organic slug pellets. Uh-huh. But okay. that's as much chemical intervention as as I do. I feed a lot. So yes. I use a, a poultry manure, not a pulp, a, as in chicken manure, not a crap manure does Hadley not eat no he's that? really good he understands that the oh. veg beds are not his territory he likes the smell of it because it stinks to high heaven yes but a yeah, poultry yeah. manure on top of the soil every couple of weeks and then I use oh. a uh f- a liquid feed at more yes. of which later and then Ooh. I know <laughs> uh, only on this podcast could we tease <laughs> making your own organic feed oh dear dear. you'll have to wait until the episode the end of the episode for that um and then i net if i need to prevent any pests getting in but yeah that's that's all i use Last year, it probably will not surprise you to know, having seen the vegetable bed at its lowest form, uh, sort of veg come, <laughs> uh, insect come, flower yeah, bed. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, um, I uh, put net, I was determined after your visit to it properly, I put net over the brassicas. Um, didn't quite clip it enough, so basically created a butterfly farm because mm. <laughs> they got into a little gap, <laughs> couldn't get back out again. <laughs> and I only realised when all of the rascals have been eaten by the yeah. caterpillars. Yeah. <laughs> it's true, it's true. Though I predict we're not going to have a dreadful caterpillar year this year, or a great caterpillar year, depending on which side you're on. The only thing I've seen... Do you know what? This is terrible. I have to grab my phone. I can't remember for the life of me what this flipping plant's called. Um, and I forget all the time. Um, it's got quite... You know lamb's ears? It's got big leaves, yeah. like lamb's ear leaves. But big, And it's really yeah. tall and it's got bright yellow flowers on. It's absolutely beautiful. I forget the name of it. Um, anyway, the caterpillars. I've never seen caterpillars like it. These were sort of like a light grey, silvery colour with yellow and black sort of uh, splodges on, not the typical yellow and black yeah. caterpillar, 
um, with sort of highlights of green on. Amazing. They had decimated the leaves of these tall flower I've things. I've seen they that. Are. And that's the only thing I they eat. I don't it. know where they come from. I don't right. know where they go. But they only arrived on that plant. Last year. I not what it's called. It's weird, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, uh, and last year I had loads of them in the garden. They looked stunning. This year, <laughs> they're all gone. I was trying to encourage the birds, like, look, look what I've got. Um, I do remember one year picking all the caterpillars off the brassicas and tipping them on the bird uh, feeder. <laughs> and they didn't like those ones. They only liked the green ones. They didn't like the ones with the, I think, the yellow and black ones. They didn't you have like. fussy birds. Like a, yeah, mm. I know, right? Uh, they're spoiled because they've got organic seed from the farm up the road. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. Um that brings me brilliantly onto Book of the Week. Um, now, I don't know what your Book of the Week is, so is that a lovely segue for you? Let Kathy? me tell you about my Book of the Week, Jez. There we go. <laughs> uh, this is a book that I read a little while ago. It's called... I feel like before I tell you the title, if you're listening rather than watching on YouTube, I should tell you that it was written in 1926. Oh, um, yes. My favourite By Stephen Graham... And it's called The Gentle Art of Tramping. It's been re-released <laughs> and beautifully laid out. It's a really lovely hardback cover. It's been re-released by Bloomsbury lately, Bloomsbury Reader. And they've created... It's a tiny book. It's only 175 pages. And it's got all this chap's notes, I should explain. So he walked... He was a hiker. He was like... Britain, mostly ah. in, in the UK and in Scotland. And um, he, which is also the UK before anyone writes it. <laughs> um, and he kept lots of notes about where he was travelling and what he did. And he did literally, in that sort of 1920s way, just set out with a backpack and fall on the mercy of local farmers and sleep in barns or bothies in the highlands or and he writes about how the landscape is similar to other like bits of oh this time when i was in albania for three months just walking the (laughs) walking around rambling it when it was safe to do so i mean nothing happens in this book but it's so atmospheric and it makes you want to go and have adventures in nature. It makes you want to grab a backpack and or a rucksack or a knapsack, as it would have been then, and your oldest, most leathery walking boots and just step out of your front door. It's beautiful. It's like if Evelyn... Is it quite inspiring? It's inspiring, but it's also very nostalgic. If Evelyn Waugh oh. had been a hiker, this is what he would have written. <laughs> It's an absolute joy. Um, I'll read you the back. So it says, first published in 1926, the gentle art of tramping is as relevant now as then. Tramping is an approach to nature, to humankind, to nations, to beauty, to life itself. This lost classic is a fresh air for world-weary souls. It's a joy and it's beautiful. That sounds very enchanting. So that's my book of the week. It's called The Gentle Art of Tramping by Stephen Graham and it's published by Bloomsbury. What's tramping? Well, I think it means as in hiking in the old fashioned sense, but not knowing, but going for several days and not knowing, having everything you need on your back. And I suspect it's where, it's an old word that was used in the, 20s obviously but i suspect it's um the does it come from tramp? i think it i think it became tramp yeah 
Oh, right. Wow. As in no fixed abode, sort of just sort of getting on Yeah, exactly. So it says meeting wow. your fellow wanderer, how to be passive to the beauty of nature and how to be active in its wildness and its rigour. So is it a bit like a diary? Is yeah. Is it sort of... Yeah, right. tales of where he's gone and what he's seen. How lovely. Yeah, you'll love it. I would love to buy something like that and recreate it. I'd like to use it as like a guide yes. and then go off and see what it's like now. That would be it fun. Would be, it would be, wouldn't it? Oh, that's series four then. <laughs> series four for a, a tour of the British Done. Isles. Done. <laughs> Roots rings and other things live. Um, How about yours? Well, I picked a book that's very relevant to our vegetable chatting and also our um, chat about organic. This is my go-to I've got lots of books on gardening and lots on organic and lots on veg growing. Um, this is Bob Flowerdew's Organic Gardening Bible, and it literally is. Um, Good choice. It has so much praise. But what I love is it's got that... Oh, God, I love the smell of some of these Does it books. smell oh, of manure or something? <laughs> no, it's, it's like a pulp paper. It's a really, really cute decision that it's not a glossy finish on the pages. It's just a what they call pulp so there's there's no finish at all it is literally print on yeah. the paper um and most cook or gardening books at least have some sort of finish on but this is sort of a matte finish and he takes you through i mean literally everything you know what what is organic gardening what isn't it um and you can of course pick and choose what you want out of it and th there you know you don't have to completely convert to wholly organic you just sort of dip your toe in it but this is this is literally the only book you would need um there's a whole uh section here on choice plants to attract birds because of course you want birds in your garden what basically what we were just saying because they eat the caterpillars mm -hmm. and they eat the aphids and they eat the pests so that you're much more likely oh look oh, pictures sweet of peas. sweet peas i was going to say how beautiful oh, the pictures well. look <laughs> And he's yes. such a guru, isn't he? <laughs> there isn't anything there. he doesn't know. And I really like his, yeah. the way he talks about what vegetables to grow and what not to bother with. Yep. And uh, he's a real, yeah, he's a real godsend, I think. I mean, he's a big fan. Of... Mad as a snake, but. Oh, uh, is he? Crackers. Do you not listen to um, Gardener's Question Time? I mean, I was going to say he's the guy from Gardener's Question Time, isn't he? But no, I don't listen to um, Gardener's oh, Question Jez. Time. Uh, because I, I find it sometimes a little Call irritating. Call yourself a gardener. No, I don't. Everyone else does. Uh, <laughs> I've never referred to myself as a gardener. Other people call me a gardener. Uh, um, well, now they the, know. The alleged yes. gardener would be my book. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's literally got everything. Things you can eat, um, things to pair, you know, what to plant where. If you were thinking about chickens and why, you know, because chickens, of course, historically have been functional, not pets. Um, I guess you'd come to know and love them. Uh, but yeah, I, I just think it's a very clever book. It's very thorough. It's very easy reading. And the photographs are a bit like you were saying with your book this week, just inspiring because it is organic. It's natural. You know, this is not the book you buy if you want beautifully landscaped lawns and manicured edges yeah. and, you know, deep borders and stuff. This is the book that you buy if you want honest, real gardening that will be less stressful, entirely natural uh, better for the environment and bountiful for your heart and your tummy. Beautiful choice. Um, so, yeah, that's that. It's published by Kyle Books, who I'd never heard of before this, but uh, they look like a proper They're publisher. They're a good, big publisher, yeah. Jolly good job. With Tell this. us the name again. 
Uh, Bob Flower Jews Organic Gardening Bible, Successful Growing the Natural Way. And you have it on your bookshelf. I do well, indeed. You? Well, I think your choice of book of the week leads quite nicely into, like from organics, nicely into our biodynamic specialist interview, which is uh, this this week's celebrity guest. Now, this, this goes in a direction that I had never, ever heard yeah. of before. And it, it, it really got me thinking. This, this It's interview. really interesting. So if you thought organics was the pinnacle of growing principles, it's because you haven't met biodynamic <laughs> farming. So our guest interview this week is uh, Jane Scotter, who is the brains behind Fern Vero, which is the most incredible small holding in the Black Mountains in Herefordshire. It's run by her and Harry Astley, and they've been there since 1996. It's such an interesting story because they bought the farm with no farming experience. (laughs) I mean, that's not to say that they're just sat in a flat eating junk food before that. They knew what they were about. Like, she was one of the founders of Neil's Yard dairy and so they were you know clued up but still they'd never farmed before and they set up this farm mostly kitchen garden um based and flowers as well so vet fruit and veg and flowers and they from day one decided that they were going to farm biodynamically now i'd always thought biodynamics well that's a bit just like organics, isn't it? Yeah, me too. But it's not. And she talks about what it is. And we had a really interesting conversation because it's not just about growing principles. It is organic and it is about looking after the soil. But it's more than that. It's a almost a spiritual approach to the way you garden and how mm. the... Uh, situation of the stars and the situation of the moon and the situation of the planets I know affect what you plant and when you plant it and what jobs you do on certain days and there's a very elaborate calendar explaining what you should do based on where the moon is or where certain stars are and things Um, and it sounds stay with it because it sounds a bit hippie woo woo at first but some of it is extremely practical. And we had, Jane and I had a really interesting conversation about how much of it is, how much of her desire to do biodynamics was about the practical element of it and how much of it was about the spiritual element. Um, And it's a really fascinating conversation. Shall we take a look? I am on the edge of my seat, Kathy. (laughs) Let's... I'm really pleased we can be together today because I've followed um, Fern Vero for a long time and I have your book in my sticky little hands here and it's very well thumbed Um, and it's lovely to see where you are with your fabulous flowers in the background and your lovely office stroke kitchen, is that right? Well, this is definitely, my my kitchen is just off to the left, but this is my main, where where the dogs sleep and my office really, or where we get together I guess. One of the things that I wanted to kick off with which is a bit of a history lesson um, from your part if that's okay is 
that you moved from London and in 96 and set up for Vero without any experience of farming and things like that beforehand, I think is something that everyone dreams of doing. And I think most people's question will be, gosh, you were so brave. I wish I could do the same. How did you do it? How did it feel? And what would you say to yourself now if you could meet yourself back then in 96? Gosh, um, it, uh, yes, I don't know that I was very brave. I think that I was probably mm. a bit naive, to be honest. Um, uh, I think that I was probably a bit uh, captured in the fantasy of it all, which is that, you know, I often find this, the idea of it is one thing and the actual, you know, physical um, being is, is something completely different. Um, but... Uh, yeah, I have a um, quite a will, uh, a will to do something well, and um, you know I'm a very practical person, uh, in the sense that I like to you know just get going. I, you know, the study is not so interesting to me. Um, the book study is not so interesting to me. I like to do it and observe, and uh, you know I'm, I'm intuitive in sure. that way. But I think it was the determination and. Uh, yeah, uh, and I love working, um, and I liked working, um, you know, with the plants and outside. And I'm very, very um, attracted to the beauty of plants. That's my. That's probably what drives me the most, and the taste of plants. I guess I like eating a lot and cooking a lot and things. Um, what would I tell myself now? I probably I don't know what I would tell myself. <laughs> I, I, I certainly would not do it. Um, it was. It was very difficult. Um, it was very taxing on many different levels. Um, you know, it, you, you'll never be rich. Uh, you'll all struggle a bit um, with money and so on. Um, the weather can be absolutely, you know, merciless. And uh, you have no control over that. And you must be patient and you must wait. Um, but I've learnt over the years that um, all the seasons are different you know we've just just coming out of I hope fingers crossed a very very wet and cold spring well a very very dry period in sort of April and May's been really really wet um, but all the time it has been quite chilly apart from I don't know, we had two or three days uh, about two months ago uh, where it was warmer than you know than it was supposed to be um, and and so uh, my um, workers say to me, um, oh, is this not good? We're getting the planting done. And, and I said, yeah, but the soft fruit is going to be really mm. good. And the roses are going to be really good this year because they like a really wet spring. They don't like to be pushed on too quickly. Um, so strawberries, I think last year, the year before, I had those nearly in, in early June. Wh and this year words. I'm definitely not going to have them till till July um, and if it's warm and sunny then we, it will be fantastic so yeah no patience um, yes I think maybe to uh, not worry about it as much as I did it would probably um, that would be what I tell myself um, but I don't think I think I would have done a few things differently but I don't think I would have not done it <laughs> That's, I think that's reassuring to people who are thinking about making a leap, on, even on a smaller scale, can still be quite daunting because it is such a lifestyle 
job as well, isn't it? Like you say, when the weather's bad or the weather's good, you've got to go out and react to it straight away. Definitely, yes. You you do have to take care of it. You know, you do have to nurture it. And um, it isn't always clement and it isn't always, uh, you know... uh, we often talk about digging up leaks in the icy rain. I mean, that's just like the worst job uh, ever. But, you know, that is what you must do to, um, you know, to sell your produce. What is it about leeks as well? It's like you plant them in the hottest weather when the soil is solid and you can't dibber a leak, a a hole in it, because it's like concrete. And then when you pick them up, it's invariably muddy. And and my soil is very heavy and... uh, so they come up with sort of football-sized balls of mud underneath. It's it's quite the thing. But um, the radicchio-looking nice. bright and beautiful will make up for that. Yeah, at the same time. Oh. Of the year. And so you did you start with the vegetables then, and then expand to animals, and then expand yeah, to flowers? Yeah, we started flowers. with uh, potatoes as the first thing that we grew. Uh, and a few salad crops and so on. Um, potatoes are very good first crop. Um, they say that it cleans the soil. It, I mean, it has, you know, deep-rooted uh, right. you know, tap roots, and uh, so it really um, gets in there nice and deep, same as beans and so on. Yeah, we did a lot of raw beans in that first year. Um, I had no idea, mm. you know, what we were doing, really, but this was just sort of from an old neighbour's advice, really, to start with. Um and then, yes, we got some pigs quite early. We had sheep uh, from the beginning um, to graze the grass. Mm. Um, it was a neighbour's, some neighbour's sheep that, um, and that was very helpful to keep the grass down so we didn't have to cut it. And then later we got some uh, Hereford cattle, um, ducks and chickens and turkeys and so on. And the flowers, I guess, uh, have come in the last five years, five, six years properly. Um, I could say that I've probably for the last four years have um, got to grips on how to grow them properly for for florists, for for yeah. trade, as it were. And it seems like, uh, I'd like to come back to the flowers at, at the end, but it feels like there's been a real um, renaissance or just much better awareness of where flowers are grown and the potential for home, like British grown flowers and how unique I, those I can be so. as well. Which that, is, that's definitely the last two years. I think um, I don't. Uh, I think so. I can you know because I talk to lots of florists. I think that people um, people have got a bit tired of the generic um, flowers. You know, they're so so perfect. I mean, I always often stop in Marks and Spencers on the motorway services and look at the flowers. I mean, I, I do understand the appeal, but they don't seem real, um, and they are grown. Mm. Um, a lot of the time under heat and you know we all know what that does to the environment um and uh isn't necessary and i think if again talking about patience if uh, the consumer uh, buys seasonally then you're doing what you can for the environment um because things grown um mm. in the climate that they are used to are you know or or, or is ideal for them is uh, is better so buy british and you know, and mm. and in season, and you should do very well, and you're do, definitely doing your bit. Not least when the result is that beautiful vase of flowers that you've got behind you. Um, if people are listening rather than watching on the podcast, then I definitely recommend having a look. We'll put a picture of it on Instagram as well because it's 
just fabulous. Can we talk about biodynamic growing? Because um, people will, I'm sure, be aware that Fernvero grows, you grow everything biodynamically, but I'm really interested in getting into the nitty gritty of what that really means. Because I know I certainly, when I first heard of it, and I think lots of people will be the same, go, oh, it's sort of, you know, environmental and a bit organic-y and they're all sort of the same and we conflate everything together. And actually, there's quite detailed nuances to biodynamic gardening, aren't there? I wondered if you could introduce us to those. So without, I realised we could probably write a doctorate's thesis on it. You could, and it is a a complicated, uh, not so much complicated, but it's a a tricky sort of language to understand because it's something um, that we're not, it's, it's a way of thinking that um, you know the modern human beings are not so so used to thinking, but um, it is organic. That is, uh, you know, um, you know, no pesticides, no artificial fertilizers. You know, those standards are exactly the same as as if it would be soil association or farmers or growers or any other um, mm. of the certifying bodies. So, if you see anything that's called biodynamic, you know that it has. Uh, that is your guarantee. But um, we take it a little okay. bit further. It is actually based on the philosophy of uh, Rudolf Steiner, who had many ideas on many things. And in the 1920s, he was approached by farmers to express his views on agriculture. And I think he shocked them uh, deeply. But um, that was the very beginning. <laughs> it's about 100 years ago now. It was mid-1924. Our approach is... I probably would call it a holistic approach. So that is considering everything around us has a, an effect and um, on the plants and, and on us, of course, as, as we know. So um, mm. the, the things that we do is we work with a planting calendar, which um, is translated by, um, a, well, it was translated by a German lady, Maria Thun, and she would work out the positions of the sun and the moon and the constellations and um, which, uh, which constellation they were in at that time and which uh, planet was in alignment. And that would in turn be translated into what would be beneficial to the part of the plant, as in um, the root being the earth, the leaf being the water and uh, the air would be the flower and the the um, fire would be the, the the fruit of the plant. So we work right. with those. So say today, um, this morning, was a flower day. So we did all the work that we had to do with flowers today. I d- definitely see the results on doing these things by the cult of the seed sowing is probably the most important. That first sowing mm. has a great effect. And I, and I think that we do probably about 99% of our sowing on the right days, the right days as we call them, uh, certainly do all the cultivation on the <laughs> right days. So the cultivation is very much like that interaction with the soil, um, opening it up, allowing it to breathe, working the soil and allowing those forces to enter the into the soil and benefit those plants. So it sounds very kind of out there um, and I don't know how it actually works, but it does work. Um and the other things that we do is we put special plant preparations into our compost, which bring all sorts of properties, calcium, um, 
uh, magnesium and so on, um, which will enliven the compost so it matures better um, and becomes a much more balanced product. And what are those preparations? What do they... Okay, well, there's uh, nettle for, you know, that brings it iron. Um, and we have oak bark, ground oak bark, um, and that's calcium. Uh, and yarrow, I think that's magnesium, chamomile, mm. and uh, finally um, valerian, which brings warmth. That, you know, very, very often once we put that into the uh, compost bar, it really cooks up very nicely. And we do that a couple of times. So that's one thing. And then the two other things that we that you must do to be a certified garden farm is to apply, again, preparations. Uh, one is called <laughs> not very... Um, uh, poetically it's called 500 and the other one's called 501 the 500 is uh based on cow manure which has been buried in the ground over winter and right. we uh stir that into pure water say rain water that we gather off the, the roofs and so on um we, we we stir that for an hour um vigorously and then we apply it to the land mm. um and now is a very, very good time to be doing it in the spring. It enlivens the, the, the soil and uh, connects you to the soil also by, by that intention. And then to help things to reach fruition, we apply the fibre one. And that's, that's applied, uh, that's uh, quartz silica. And um, we apply that in the early mornings um, and it helps to uh, enhance the light and, and therefore the, the fruiting process or, and flowering process. You have to be quite careful with it when we are, say, in the midsummer, light can be very, very strong. And if you, you know, spray your lettuces, they can they can go to go to seed quite quickly. So you have to choose quite carefully. But um, those are the basic things to that makes a biodynamic farm um, on paper, as it were. Fascinating. Does it apply to the animals as well? The animals must uh, feed on the biodynamic land, obviously. The husbandry is very much, uh, very, very similar to the organic husbandry. But one big difference, I think, and uh, which the Biodynamic Association are very uh, big sticklers for, is the non-removal of the horns of from cows. <clears throat> um, it's not that it, that's very linked right. to their digestion, which is their of their thing is it not you would not be able to be a certified biodynamic farm if you remove the horns from your cattle i didn't know that and do you i don't know if this is a i don't quite know how to ask this question or how it can be answered <laughs> but we'll have a crack anyway do you um did you come to biodynamic principles because you thought on a you said you're a very practical person on a practical level you went I can see why magnesium at this time of year would make sense, or I can see why an application of um, manure would make sense at this time. Or did you come to it from a more spiritual sense, um, or perhaps a bit of both? I think. I mean, it's a, the answer is really when we were talking to <clears throat> the various bodies, they were the most helpful to us, very kind, and mm. um, once we. I'd, I'd sort of had a, a you know, brushings of it before, knowing about, you know, the Camp Hill villages where they practised um, biodynamics. Right. And knowing more about it, it just was a really very nice way of going about your business um, and a lovely way of thinking about something that can be extremely challenging. The reward is in being able to uh, appreciate the beauty and your work and caring for something and for it to be, you know, 
the very best it possibly can be. I do believe that biodynamic growing is the absolute ultimate in growing, and that's what I'm interested in. Uh, and so if I want to do the very best that I can, then it has to be biodynamic for me. I'm really fascinated by the calendar as well. I don't know much about it, but what I liked that what I understand of it is that you have rest days as well, do you? Because otherwise I can imagine it being quite stressful having the alignments are not favorable to cultivation or uh, seed or, or seed sowing for anything. And tomorrow is the whole day. So I do have to find a job for my um for my guys that don't involve that. There's lots of, lots of tidying up that gets done. It's not so much they get a day off, it's that they can do some other stuff that's not in the calendar. Oh, no, they don't. Get no, we work too, <laughs> you know, we're not, we um, do regular weeks, you know, people need to have a routine and so on. Um, and, you know, we are a commercial farm and we need to, we're harvesting for a customer and, you know, they, they need it on a certain day. So, um, we don't sure. work very strictly to that sort of thing but uh, yes you have to move around quite a bit but it's okay because there's very little we can do right now because it's the mm. land is extremely wet a uh, couple of days of nice sunshine and we'll be we'll be planting but um, meanwhile we have got you know things that we can do in that time but it's very frustrating when you get them at a time where you'd like to you know push and, on and you can't and everything's understood that you know nothing's strict and it shouldn't be um you just have to do your very best I think that's you know. such a lovely sentiment you were mentioning yeah. about being a commercial grower so perhaps that's a good time to start um to talk about spring the restaurant that you um supply well more than supply a kind of co-creator of I suppose I would describe it as I don't know about that but uh, um I I uh I work we're in a collaboration mm. with Sky, um, have been for seven years now, um, which is um, wonderful. Uh, it's a very creative process. You know, they're a wonderful yeah. team to work with. How did it come about, and how do you um, how do you work together on the menus and practically? When we first started, we sort of said to Sky, you know, so what do you want us to grow? And she said, Oh, I don't know. Just grow. Just do what you've always done because I've come to you because I like what you do. So we just continued and it took, you know, took a while to kind of get the quantities right and so on. But I think that we, that you know, we were very um, lucky that we both kind of saw things very much in the same way. Sky likes things to be very beautiful. She appreciates that when she cooks. She likes it to be simple. She likes the flavours to be really strong. Um, and she's not sort of uh, chasing strawberries at Christmas and so on. You know, she 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 appreciates that seasonality is when food really, you know, grown at the right time is when it tastes best. Yeah, we've settled into a very nice um, routine. Got a new polytunnel and that's helped to supply more during the wintertime. I know what she likes now. Um, she pretty much likes everything. You know, I had to get her to like potatoes. She wasn't really much potato cook. Now she likes. Now she buys potatoes quite a lot, uh, and they just opened a shop in Notting Hill, spring to go, and so we're supplying flowers for that at the moment, um, alongside Heckfield Home Farm. Um, we're working together to supply. Amazing. The shop. And does she ring you up and say, right, what am I getting from you this week? And then she writes a menu based on that. Um, they keep a three-week menu generally, right? Uh, because there's, you know, super, super busy. Mm. And um, I send a list out every, uh, twice a week um, with what we have. I Once a month, I do an update of what's coming along so that 
Sky can kind of put together ingredients if she wants to create a new dish or so on and so on. She <clears throat> she can. She she will definitely write the menu according to what's available. Mm. So um, it is you know it's the produce that define them defines the menu, not not the other way around. I mean, she does occasionally ask for certain things, but in general, it's what we have is yeah. what what will be. Uh, you know, on the plates. So I have five very quick, like one sentence answers, okay. if you could. Oh. And don't think about it too no, much. Okay. It's not a psychological experiment. Don't worry. So first one, most visited cookbook. Uh, most visited cookbook. Apart from your Ooh. own, obviously. Uh, <laughs> no, I don't visit that one very often. I probably would go to Jane Grigson's fruit book, I'd say. Nice choice. Probably. Excellent. Yes. Very good. Um, second question vegetables or flowers oh dear <laughs> yes I'm, I'm in a, uh, yes very, that's quite tricky mm. I've done vegetables I feel very good <laughs> saying flowers. I love the way you've said but that as well you kind I, of I, I'm, lower I'm, your head I'm as you say my flowers right now I have both that's okay. okay, I think that's acceptable on one because the next one you are going to have to choose dogs or cats. <laughs> Oh, dogs every time. Excellent. Without a dog. <laughs> well, Jess, yeah. my co-host and I are exactly the same. So we, we share that yeah. definitive. I love Hi. that. Um, your top growing tip to anyone with their own tip. patch. Prepare the soil properly um, and keep weeding. Keep weeding. Yeah, look after your soil and look after your plants. They can't do it by themselves. That's. I love that one. Thank you. And finally... What was the last garden or nature book that you read? Oh, Culture and Horticulture. That was the last one I picked up. Nice. Worthy. Very good. Yes, I like it. It's a biodynamic book, but uh, they just have quite a a nice way of of phrasing things. Brilliant. And a great tip for anyone who wants to find out a bit more about biodynamics. Yeah, it's a nice read. It's not too heavy. uh, And there's a lot of you know, appreciation of the beauty, which is, as I said, which I like, and uh, it, it helps you sort of step out the door sometimes. Amazing. Yeah. Thank you so much. I mean, what an inspiring chat. I've got so many questions. I've had to kind of triage them as we've gone along. So I really appreciate you taking the time. All the best. Okay, bye-bye. Well, another doggy person. Another doggy person. I wonder if we're, we're going to get them. through the whole series and not meet a cat person. Ah. If you are a cat person and a gardener, mm. please let us know. Well, I hope it's not the last person we interview. Can you imagine that we end on a, on a, on a cat, cat person? <laughs> we mustn't be biased, Jess. I knew she was going to so, be a dog person straight away. Yeah. Uh, did you? <laughs> I didn't know she was going to be so much of a, a moon person, so much of a sort of like a planet's aligny person. I mean, that is mind-blowing, this whole idea of of changing your plans based on, well, I guess she doesn't change. She predicts and, and looks at the chart so she sort of knows what, you know, alignment and what the moon's going to be doing. But the fact that, you know, if you're sort of changing what you're doing based on the weather because the nature and the world knows where it's going and what it's doing better than yeah. you do... Um, so it, it's almost like turning the whole thing on its head, it is. isn't it? And saying, well, actually, you know, the the weather and the world and and the stuff are way beyond out of our control and out of most of our even understanding. That knows what it, what it's doing, and the way that we normally garden is catching up. It's sort of reactive. Yeah rather than yeah exactly Um, and I loved that she had rest days as well in the calendar too that seemed really and I think that's probably the only thing you could take from biodynamic farming into your own 
way of growing because if you want to grow biodynamically you've got to go the whole hog it's not like you can just pick a bit of it here and there we talked about that a little bit um but I do think that that principle of having days where as you were saying before you just sit and you rest and you look at the beauty of it and that's what gets done today and that's all part of the process it's not at all what I thought biodynamic was though Kathy like if you'd have asked me to define it I'd have been way off it's a good job that wasn't a quiz (laughs) Does it? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> um, and flowers. Uh, so I love the fact that, like, part of her income and part of her job and, and her role is growing flowers to sell, and they're dried. And are they all? No, dried, no. There's know? a lot or, of a lot of fresh as well. Right, fresh. And the ones I was just Stunning. totally distracted by the ones she had. If you if you can <laughs> watch some of the YouTube clip of it, because the flowers that she just casually like dumped in a bucket behind her like I just picked these before we chatted and they're the most beautiful bunch of flowers (laughs) you've probably seen since the Simon Lysa interview (laughs) we did a few weeks ago (laughs) I mean just fabulous so it was really fascinating chat and they've always been their cookbook is stunning uh and it's uh it's called Fern Vero and it's published by um Mm, can't remember now but it's somebody Somebody. uh but it's a it's a cracker and the recipes in it are lovely as well and i've that's how i got to know a fan of herbs too yes lots of herbs so all to the good it's been a sort of herby type episode really really, has hasn't it i feel like it might be about to be a vegetably type moment in our you're very good to jump straight in like that. I was going to wonder. I was going to be a little bit cheeky and see whether you were going to let this sort of drift into the end of the no, episode. No, I figure like it's... And I was ready to say... It's, it's mm. like getting into cold water in getting into <laughs> vegetable of the week because I feel like I just have to dive in and get the pain over with and hope that I know <laughs> the name of the vegetable that you're going to give me this week. <laughs> That's only happened <laughs> once, to be fair. But but what I've, I've been desperately trying to think of one that would catch you out a bit or that would be... But you're just too brilliant. So oh. I might have one this week. Mm-hmm. I might. Only because... And I'm not going to say too much. You can remind me and I'll tell you about it. But... I was really blown away by a use of this vegetable that I had never even seen or heard of before. Oh, God. And I've now, after a little bit of exploring, come to realise it is possibly the most underused, underestimated vegetable in my refrigerator. Interesting. Kathy Slack, your vegetable of the week is the broccoli. Oh, that's easy. <laughs> Well, I've only ever had broccoli steamed or in something like, I think occasionally mum went a bit wild, probably an extra glass of wine while she was cooking and we had something like um, cauliflower cheese and she loved a broccoli in it. Oh man, right. I am coming to your house with a lot of broccoli because you, my darling, have missed out in these whole however many years. Um, I can't believe that's... That's the only way you've had broccoli. Okay. Yeah, up until recently. So there are many ways you can use broccoli. Broccoli mac and cheese is not a bad idea. That always works well. Um, Other things, it makes an excellent sauce. So blitz it. A sauce? Whiz it. It's almost like a soup, really. Whiz it. Oh, in fact, I'm changing that. Broccoli and Stilton soup. Broccoli and Stilton soup. So easy to make, <clears throat> completely delicious. Uh, 
so easy to yeah, make. it really is. So broccoli, oh. sweat it in some, some broccoli, leeks, maybe a couple of spring onions, a bit of salt, butter, sweat it down, add some stock, whiz it all up with a stick blender. You know, it takes about 10 minutes. And then crumble in some oh. Stilton or some Stitchelton, even better, and let that dissolve. And, oh, heaven. Or crispier version like a more salady version steam some broccoli and then toss it in a pan with olive oil and garlic and chili and possibly some anchovies as well or if not anchovies some feta that works really well too it's brilliant on the barbecue particularly the bigger ones where you've got a big stalk, yes. cut them so yes. you've got a flat exposed stalk yes. and then griddle them on the barbie. That's delicious as well. I mean, there's so many opportunities with broccoli. See, I didn't realise about this griddling thing. That, oh, actually, I lied. I have had it a third way. When you came up, we had tender stem broccoli griddled, griddled on the, on the did, open fire we? or on the chopper, one of the now, two. What now, was, um, what was the... Because you said that you'd eaten it in a very exciting particular yes. way what was that i had a couple of weeks back i normally i make a lot of curry i really mm. like curry i love indian cuisine uh my favorite restaurant always go to is um oh gosh uh oh my god <laughs> i can't think of the name and the cookbook's in there Dishoom. oh i love um, Dishoom. in london right so um i ordered a takeaway recently because a really amazing indian restaurant nearby and I noticed for the first time they did a half a tandoor broccoli. Genius. With, so, yeah, right? So grilled with, um, or uh, cooked in the tandoor, so that kind of smoky, char-grilly sort of flavour, with a sort of tomato-y, oniony, sweet, so slightly, I think there was some honey in there as well, sort of sauce thing oh. over it. <gasps> Kathy. It was, and that is the only time anybody could charge me £4.25 for half a broccoli and me be okay with it. It's <laughs> good value. That's delicious. It was stunning. And so then I thought, well, what else? And of course, because I'm working out, I am a slave to protein. Mm-hmm. Uh, but because I don't eat, I eat meat from very particular sources, I don't eat fish because of sea spiracy, oh. Netflix ruined that. So, um, you know, my pack of prawns a day or two tins of tuna that I was eating every day is, had to be replaced with peas um so <laughs> i realized that a broccoli has about just under 10 grams of protein mm-hmm. in one broccoli so i steamed took a whole broccoli cut it all up steamed it gently um and then finished it off in a frying pan with some grilled uh, uh sorry some uh, fried pan fried pine nuts nice little bit of olive oil and a little bit of parmesan that was it, just just plain in a bowl. I was full afterwards. I felt fresh. I felt light. It was delicious. I couldn't believe just it. Just lovely. Yeah, you can't go wrong with a broccoli. There should always be a broccoli floret in every fridge, I think. Broccoli floret in every fridge. <laughs> my my fridge floret. Yes, we're, we're going to come back to that. I like that. Um, so uh, we're sort of careering towards the end of the episode, but I actually have, uh, you know, sometimes at the end, I say, look, before we go, have you got anything that you want to um, chat about? I want to do that now because you mentioned a stick blender. Now, I've got a Nutribullet, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is the best thing ever. I think I've had loads of different blenders for different yeah. things throughout yeah. the years, uh, but I've only got a Nutribullet now, and I yeah, love it. Yeah, they're great. Um, 
But of course, there are, there are always capacity issues with things like that, you know. And a Nutribullet is the smaller of mm-hmm. the blenders. But are you a fan of the stick blenders? This is it. Basically, looks like a, a, a it's it's like spinny blades on the end of a long sort of plastic handle, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, I really am. The one I've got, um, which I've had for years and is now slowly dying a death, I'm going to have to find a replacement for it, which is going to be hard. Right. Uh, is a motor, a handheld motor attachment, and then mm. um, like base, and then you have different attachments. So yes. you can attach the the oh, the knives, the sort of blades. That you, yeah, that, yeah. and that's what I blend soup with. Uh, but then I can attach a herb chopper or a little um, food processor box to it. And so is the idea that you can you're not restricted on volume. Exactly. So if you had a big bowl yeah. of something, you can just go in there and gently exactly. zap it all up. They're they're oh. brilliant, and I that's what I take on holiday with me, amongst other I'm things. Sorry. Sunscreen and a stick yeah, blender. Yeah, stick blender and my thermopen. That's the other thing, like a temperature probe. Those are the things right. I, I take. Mean, totally normal for a trip to, you know, Magaluf. Okay, only if um, I'm self-catering. <laughs> oh, okay, right. <laughs> Don't, like, walk into a restaurant to say, I'm here yes, on holiday. I'm sorry, I would you mind if I did my own? Bought you a stick blender. <laughs> I've got a sunblock for my nose and a stick blender and flip-flops. Hey, do you know, you've just made me think, I might retire my stick blender when I buy a new one. I might retire the other one because the motors go eventually. It is about 10 years old. That's a good investment. It's good. And I might retire it to the garden because it would be quite useful Mm. for... I'm getting really into plant like making my own plant feeds and ah, i think a quick yes. whiz in the nettle yes. break it down yeah, a bit. to break it yeah. down might be a good option because it's sort of nettle well, soup I've decided, anyway, so, sorry because i've got to go out and spend 30 minutes training my sweet peas yeah uh, i'm going to reward myself by buying myself a stick blender because i think that's the least that i could do for myself um definitely do it <laughs> Now, you've been away, haven't you, with Puppy Dog? Tell me about this, because I miss all of this kind of stuff. I can't take Moo anyway. He's too old, and he's, uh, you know, he's, he doesn't do walking. He doesn't really do in the car very well. And so when you tell me about uh, your tales with Hadley, I just, I just, it's so nostalgic. Uh, Where have we you been? have been to North Norfolk, and Lovely. we often go to North Norfolk. And I feel because North Norfolk has become so trendy, that sort of Burnham, oh, Burnham Market... Holcombe, Brancaster, bit of the coast, which is just up from Cromer, has become absurdly trendy. I feel like I have to caveat all of my trips with, I've been going there since I was a baby when we had a caravan that my dad's (laughs) parents gave him in the early 60s or something ridiculous. So um, we go there, Hadley and I run every day and we run down to the beach and he zooms around on the beach and we both sing the Chariots of Fire theme tune in our heads as we run through the sea and it's just heaven. He finds, (laughs) I don't know how he does this, he should be given some sort of medal, he finds a tennis ball every single trip. Isn't it weird how they how do, do they that? How do do that? They must smell but really I specific. I always sorry for the dog that lost it. I know. Because for every tennis ball found, there's a dog that's sort of a bit 
bereaved. Down in the dumps when they get back because they lost. Yeah. Their, yeah. Bereft at another <laughs> tennis ball gone. Every single time he finds it. To the point now that I don't bother taking tennis balls when we go to Norfolk. <laughs> but we'll, we'll just find one. one in the dunes. Hadley, it'll be fine. So he just loves it. Yeah. He's a very happy bean. I love that. And Marl- <clears throat> Does he swim in the sea? He has a occasional swim in the sea, but. Not too oh, much. Okay. You know, like Marley, I'm just, he's nine. I'm just starting to get a bit conscious that his back legs are yeah. getting a little bit stiff. He has yeah. this thing that we call porpoising when he's in the shallows of the water and he kind of leaps when it really exaggerates the way his spine moves. And I worry slightly that that might be a bit much for him. So uh-huh. we try and limit that a little bit. Does also, wet, wet dog, dog, right? Mm-hmm. Sea dog. Oh, that is the worst smell. Yeah. Oh, no. Worse sea than that smell. is wet dog recently rolled in dead seal. I mean, that is biblically horrendous. Why would he... <laughs> Why would he roll in a dead seal? I don't seal? know. Is it just my dog? Has Marley ever done that? No, but I've never taken him anywhere where there might be a dead seal, to be fair, but utter disrespect no, to the seal. Marley, um, Hadley rolls in dead anything. Dead seal, oh. dead badger, horrendous. Oh, but he looks really cute, I know. Tell me it's not just my dog. Do other people have dogs that do this? You're going to have to go to Instagram for that because I've never had... <laughs> Marley eats dead things he shouldn't eat. No. And sometimes... Rolls in fox poo, but that's every dog, mm. isn't it? I don't know a dog doesn't roll in fox poo. So rolls in dead. Mm. Am I alone? Tell me at Rook's Wings <laughs> podcast. <laughs> ah. Well, listen. I know you wanted to share something really special this week because um, t- we've sort of touched on it with your with your stick blender, mm. um, and uh, you are a big fan of making your own feed. Um, people might have heard about comfrey and there's lots of different types of comfrey you can get. I've got a gorgeous purple comfrey. Absolutely um, stunning. I'm uh, sorry, Jess. Are we talking spread. about comfrey here? Comfrey. Comfrey. What do you comfrey. call it? You call it comfrey. Yeah. Why do you call it comfrey? It's spelt with an O. I know, but you don't say... Do you say almonds as well? Almonds. almonds. Oh, I do, mm. yeah. Oh, dear. We almonds. can't be friends anymore. How do you say almonds? Almonds. Almonds. Comfrey. What well, is a silent L in yeah. it? Well, where's the R? Because if, if the L was silent, it'd be Amons, <laughs> wouldn't it? Or Ammons. Anyway, it's comfrey. Almonds? <laughs> Who says almonds? I've Everyone. never heard of almonds. <laughs> comfrey. No, it's comfrey. I can't have that. Right, comfrey. <laughs> But yes, we're talking about that. <laughs> this has got to go to Instagram. I, know. I want backup here. I'll do a poll. Comfrey or comfrey? I'm going <laughs> you don't have to say it like that. <laughs> you can just say it how it's spelt. You don't have to exaggerate it and make me look stupid. Comfrey. <laughs> I can't believe that uh, comfrey is an actual... I've never heard Either that. Either way... Comfrey or comfrey, we are talking about <laughs> organic feeds, homemade feeds. Should we just talk about nettle feed instead? Because it's basically the yeah, same let's do thing, nettles, and I think yeah. we can agree on how because to say you that. Can, but my point was, you don't say nettle, do you? It's nettle. <laughs> I mean, it's... <laughs> um, yes, I had a neighbour who used to say nestles. Oh, 
You know, you've got Cadbury and Nestle, and I was like, no, darling, there's definitely an accent over the years. Nestle's condensed milk. Milk, yeah, I think that's how my parents say that as well, yeah. Um, But nettles are the ones that are everywhere. You know, when people get annoyed because they're pulling stinging nettles out, I keep them. I put them in a bucket, a separate bucket, and then soak them in water because you've got free organic So I've been meaning to do this for ages, and then way back when I interviewed Anna Greenland, C, start of series three, uh, she talked about nettle feed and it made me go right I am going to make my own nettle soup not the edible mm. sort though you can do that so oh, as yeah. you say if you've got lots of nettles they're really nitrogen rich which means they're really good for leafing vegetables they're not great for fruiting ones particularly tomatoes won't be very happy about them but for beans and lettuces and pretty much everything, they will love it. So as you say, you take a big bucket at a significant distance from your house, if you can, because it stinks <laughs> like a wet dog that's just <clears throat> rolled in dead seal. And you fill it with your nettles, just chop them down, obviously marigolds, wear gloves, stuff it all in, break them up a bit as you go, which is why I was thinking a stick blender might be a good option. Cover it with water, weigh the nettles down with a big rock so that they're fully submerged, and then walk away and try not to go anywhere near it for at least two weeks. You'll smell it from a mile away, (laughs) but it's worth doing because at the end of two weeks, you have this thick, soupy got a kind of film on the top of it it's pretty revolting yeah. <clears throat> um strain that into a jug or a bucket or something with a lid on preferably and then you need to water it down about one to ten parts water to one part um juice and feed away and it's free f- free organic feed for all your vegetables and your flowers love it you can cover it. You don't have to leave it open so that it stinks everywhere. I've never <clears throat> but, tried covering it. But I have to say, that's a lot of faff, Kathy. I don't do any of that. Um, uh, I shred, I don't know, about eight to ten normal stinging nettles. Yeah. Uh, so sort of just shred them up, chuck them in a, a watering can, a full watering can, give it a swish round. And I leave it for sort of a week or so, give it a stir every day, and then I just And then you do it straight away. You obviously don't have as many nettles as I do. (laughs) But having said that, I suspect if you let it steep, you know, and sort of brew, then obviously you're going to get a rich, it's going to draw more of the nutrients out of the nettles. But the nettles end up on, you know, when they're all broken up, and of course they're destroyed, they're not going to grow. Um they go onto the uh, the soil and so they break down anyway. It's a bit like sort of adding them on there. But they're great for the compost. If, you, if you're new to composting, get as many stinging nettles as you can and chuck yeah. those in your compost because they help break Just it down. Just avoid the roots, I would say. Unless you've got a yes. very advanced yeah, composting yeah. system that gets nice and hot, then I would chop the roots yeah. off because that's where the... And also the flowers at the top. Um, but the leaves are really good. This has been amazing. Now, I've got so many questions. We haven't got any more time. But for next time, I want to talk to you about um, Komodo dragon cooking. That's how I remember it. I think it's Kamada dragon. No, just it's not a dragon. It's nothing to do with dragons. Kamada. Uh, Komodo, Kamada. The, the big green fire egg. Fire pit right? cooking. But other brands yeah. are available. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, enclosed fire pit cooking. Um, I want to talk to you about that. And also, 
Uh, I did want to ask you about another thing that I've forgotten about. So that's just as well that we haven't got time. Good job. You've got a week to remember it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So there we go. If you would like to buy Hadley and Marley a biscuit, they would be very grateful. You can go to coffeeko-fi.com forward slash roots. Um, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast because it's weekly now. I know. and So it means you'll get little notifications. And also, if you happen to be subscribing, then leave us a review as well because that makes a really big difference and it warms the cockles of our hearts, doesn't it, Jess? It does. And if you don't have much time, because I haven't got much time at the minute, just click the five stars, put this is great and move on. That's absolutely fine. <laughs> just you know, something nice. It'd be really wonderful. Uh, if you didn't like it, you can let us know because we'll try and change it for the next episode. Uh, we probably won't but uh, it's okay um, <laughs> and don't forget, and don't forget Instagram to... were you about to say that as well yes. I was Yay. yes <laughs> we're at Roots Wings podcast talking dead seals and <laughs> comfrey or yeah. comfrey you decide well get in on this poll and <laughs> all I'm saying is you shouldn't bias you know you shouldn't it doesn't matter you just be honest with yourself do you pronounce it comfrey as in you know the normal way <laughs> that other people in the world say and how it's spelt or do you uh, uh, are you going to vote for Kathy's way of saying comfrey which is entirely different making the o a u spelt differently and said entirely differently to how it's spelt but don't let me influence you you go with the one you feel is right <laughs> we'll be back next week if we're still speaking to each other <laughs> <laughs> see you soon Kathy <laughs> bye bye Jesse <laughs> bye bye <laughs>